and, and loving yourself, what does that even mean? Like massages and selfies and that sort of thing? Because the more I think about it, the more it feels weird. I've always been taught that self-love was something to be feared. I've been taught that arrogance is bad and vanity, it's not good. And even my bracelets are telling me to act how Jesus would. So what should I do? <laughs> how should I act? I'm supposed to love myself, but how do I even do that? Well, I got a trick that I picked up from a friend who noticed that I was quick to defend her when she would say something negative about herself. She would say, I'm so dumb, and I'd say, you're so brilliant. She'd say, I'm so weak, and I'd say, you're so resilient. And when she said, I feel ugly, and I said, you look beautiful, she asked me why I was so dutifully filling up her cup constantly and yet treating my own cup so irresponsibly. Because when I looked in the mirror, my voice was quite clear. You're ugly, you're too thin, your hairline's receding, you got a pimple on your chin. And that was when she gave me a piece of advice that changed my life. She gave me a hug. And she said, treat yourself like someone you loved. Treat yourself like someone you loved. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Boundaries Podcast, where the facts are the facts and the opinions hurt people's feelings. It's Jay. It's well if. While you got your phone in your hand, please take four, five, six, seven, ten seconds to rate and review us on iTunes, comment and like on SoundCloud, whatever you do on Spotify to get it popping, do that. Whatever you do on Google Play to get it popping, do that. Um... If you want smoke, the comment sections are now open 24-7. All smoke is accepted. 24-7? 24-7. I like that. How you doing, my good man? I'm good, man. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm back from the, uh, back from the NO, alive and well. Uh, no pun intended. Um, and uh, I, 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 I couldn't ask for more. It's, it's, it's good to be alive. Because with this, with this life, I tend to do the thing that I do. I think I do best, and that's ask questions. Um, and the whole time I was in New Orleans, I was like, you know, uh, any time I go to New Orleans, for the most part, I pretty much enjoy it. I probably I've been to New Orleans about five or six times, a handful of times, and I probably didn't enjoy it, but just one time. And that was when I kind of didn't realize that um, it, it's it's not a whole lot that it's not a whole lot to see after a while. So. You kind of got to have a, it's kind of good to go out there with a plan. And uh, if, the, if the plan is executed well, um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's good to just, it's good to take advantage of that. It's good to take advantage of a plan. It's good to be prepared for the chaos, like we like to say. Um, but um, obviously when I was out there, um, I, I listened to, I, I kind of listened to the pre-episode when you, when you drop box it to me, when I had a brief moment to listen to it. And, um... <laughs> I realized in the uh, last episode we, we we spoke about culture a lot, and um, like we, we we've been talking about culture for a long time. It was a point of time where we were asking the question, "What is culture really?" And uh, I think after I think we had culture one and culture two. I think we uh, definitely kind of narrowed it down to what it really means, and then you kind of realize that um, culture to me is just norms. Like it's just norms that a that a society you know tends to agree on and um that 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 catapults the culture and um i started asking questions like um what is the significance of culture when it comes to success mm -hmm. um and that's when i when i kind of when i when i did that it came it, it came it got me to come across this book um i'm for those that are listening just know that i'm on skype so i'm showing jay the book and also if you're on instagram i, I posted the book uh, it's a book called The Triple Package by Amy Chua and her husband Jed Rubenfeld. Rubenfeld, I believe they're two. Um, I believe they're two professors that go that they they teach at um, Yale. Okay. I could be wrong. It could be Yale or Harvard, but that's in my opinion. Uh, I could say it's neither here nor there, but it is important to know that um, Amy Chua. I think she she kind of was involved in the um, in the Brett Kavanaugh scandal. She's kind of one of the people that was in the background saying, you know. Y'all should really watch that dude. He has a tendency to only hire people that look a certain way, uh, and one of the what the certain way was uh, he usually only hires um, women that 
look like models. So she kind of felt like there is kind of like some reason to believe that an, an investigation was appropriate for him because I mean he's he's a he's a chauvinist. He's he has tendencies. Um, and um, she was one of the people that kind of uh, was was a, a not necessarily a significant voice, but she was a voice behind the scenes. I mean, mm-hmm. you're at you're at the Ivy League like that. You putting out you put out three or four books, and your husband has two. I mean, you got some type of credibility. But um, just to jump jump right into it, um, I, I, a thing that interests me about the book was I jumped into the the summary. I want to say this book came out in 2013 or 2014. But uh, once again, the book is called The Triple Package, How Three Unlikely Traits Explain the Rise and Fall of Cultural Groups in America. And uh, it's, it might get wordy, but I think it's important for, for me to read this because, like I said, this shit, for me, it made me ask a million questions. And, 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 and I know if it made me ask questions, it's going to make you ask questions. Uh, the Triple Package is comprised of three character traits. It's superiority, insecurity, and impulse control. Uh, on the first one, it says superiority. Uh, every one of America's most successful groups has a superiority complex, a deep-seated belief in its own exceptionality. For example, most Nigerian Americans prize the u- unique lineage and prosperous history of their Yoruba and Ibu Igbo ancestry. In 2013, though making up less than 1% of America's black population, Nigerian Americans, many from modest backgrounds, made up 20 to 25 percent of the black students at Harvard Business School and are starkly overrepresented in America's top investment banks and law firms. Hmm. I know. I know. That's exactly. I was like, really? Like, damn. It gets you to. I don't stop there because it gets me to thinking. With knowing that, do you think that it's important for people to actually draw the line on what we perceive as a black person? To draw the line? Like, is to be to divide. I mean, we talked about ADOS at one point. Right. American descendants of slaves. And a lot of people find that group to be somewhat divisive. And one of the main arguing points in that group is a lot of times we only see black as, as as certain traits. So we see a black person and, and that's it. That's the line that's drawn. They got black skin. They got character traits of a black person. They black. You know, we just had, uh, I don't know his name, but the dude, uh, Robert Smith, that paid off all the student loan debt. And was mm-hmm. it Morehouse? Yep, Morehouse. Uh, I mean, is it is it is it a negative thing to ask? Uh, what is the what is the demographic of that of that Howard Law? Was that Howard the whole the whole graduation, or was it a certain faction of Howard graduation students? Like, was it the law students? Was it edgy? Like, what was it? To from my understanding, Morehouse is such a small college that they have the one graduation. So oh, four hundred okay. people graduated spring of two thousand nineteen, or however okay. many people. I, I would I would assume, in my honest opinion, that uh, most of Morehouse's graduates are probably um, uh, Black Americans, meaning that they're they're probably fourth or fifth generation, maybe. Meaning meaning it's a, it's a rare chance that their parents are foreign are foreign born. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I, so so once again, when I say draw the line, do you think that it's fair for somebody to look at Cardi B and be like, well, she's not black? Or they look at uh, John Boyega and be like, well, he's not black, meaning he's not black American. Do you think that it's it's fair to say that when it comes down to looking at success? Like, we look at LeBron James and Steph Curry and we say, all right, those are two examples of black Americans that made it. And then do you think that when you look at them and then you, you look at the actual for, uh, Forbes list or you look at the actual su- success rate when it comes to people that identify as black Americans, do you think that it's important to to basic, basically say, I need to know what type of background they come from? Do you think that's important or do you think that's it, it is what it is? I don't I don't know if it's necessarily important, but I know that we do it. Like even for instance, when you said we look at LeBron and we look at Steph Curry and we're like, okay, those are two black Americans. Like you even put the divide in there with the Americans added to it. So yeah. it's kind of like all right, yeah, they're black. We look at the Forbes, 
we see Diddy, we see Jay-Z, because we know those people, we associate with them. Now, if we see, you know, some African Idris billionaire. Elba. I say we see Idris what, Elba. What, we, we familiarize with Idris. Okay. Like, but if, let's say we see somebody in Africa that we just don't know, who's not a celebrity of any sort. Like, even, even the Morehouse guy, who's the billion-dollar investor. I think Robert I, Smith. Yeah, I had no idea who he is. But do I say, oh, he's not black because he's got a billion? No. But if I think if it was somebody from another country, I'm, I would not. Eh, I guess I say I might wouldn't identify with him because he's just not American. He's not gotcha. African-American. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, I mean, in, in, in my honest opinion, um, I can say that it's not necessarily important when it comes to let's recognize that people of African ancestry have been are doing something successful but like i said one of the unique things about this book and the unique thing about my earlier question is about culture now do you believe based on what i just read about superiority that it's is it time for us to realize that it's something that is going on in black american culture that may be that may be holding us back because i could even read the i'm going to even read the next excerpt that talks about insecurity um, it says in a study of almost 4,000 freshmen at 28 selective American colleges, Asian American students reported the lowest self-esteem of any racial group, even if, as they racked up the highest grades. Asian parents expressed much lower levels of satisfaction with their children's academic achievement than the average American parent. Yet Asian Americans SAT scores are 140 percent, 140 points above the national average, including a 63 point edge over whites with the gap increasing. But yet there's still not enough. <laughs> it might not be, bro. <laughs> that's, that's what I tell thing. you. That's what I tell you when you put on Snapchat, you go into the gym. I was like, bro, you already won. Is that not enough for you? <laughs> what do you You're think Asian. that comes from? <laughs> the, where do you think that comes from? I'm just saying. Now, now, let's be honest here. I was going. I grew up in a Nigerian household. Yeah, my mom was, you know, obviously was an immigrant. She was raising three boys. It was a struggle. So I think that one thing that that she can relate to, as far as being a a quote unquote black person in America, we all can relate to the struggle. But I can't lie and say that. When I saw how some of my black American friends were raised, I kind of looked at them sometimes was like, damn, like, that's how y'all do things. And I can't help but to think and we all we can't sit here and lie and say that we have we don't we all have a tendency to ask ourselves, why are Asians so smart? Why are Asians so successful? I mean, we, we I mean, I don't know if you I've, I've asked that question. Have you ever asked that question? Why? No, I just look any Asian that I've known. On a on a level to where I can kind of get into their personal space, they just work hard and they just kind of like have that demand. And why is it that we don't do that? And when I say we, I mean Black Americans. I, I guess it, we're we're back to the culture thing. Like our culture doesn't demand excellence in academics. Our culture demands okay. excellence in athletics. See, and that's the thing about this book, because as I was reading this book and I ain't even that deep into the book, it made me it made me it made me think that myself. I'm like, damn, like even when I think about it, like even as a parent myself, like I have I have some undertones of how my mom raised me. And obviously I'm pretty I'm, I'm highly Americanized. I, I have my I have my way of approaching things with my own son. But at the same time, like it's it's almost to me that. As I was reading, um, there's a concept. There's this concept called the Bene the, the Benedict Option, and the Benedict Option, option in my opinion, is basically uh, it promotes being counterculture. And if you were to describe today's culture, how would you describe today's culture? Me personally, um, it's a lot of ways you can you can you can describe it. But I think today's culture can be summed up in the mob, mob mentality. Like I think mob mentality is is the wave today. Like I kind of feel like, and, and that might be a lazy way of, 
of defining it. But I feel I kind of feel like if you're not if you're not doing what everybody else is doing, you're in fear of being canceled or dragged. And if you're in fear of that, then that's the driving force of how you're going to raise your kids. That's the driving force of how you're going to carry yourself day after day. Like, and I kind of feel like that may be a, that, that that may just be American culture in general. But to just to 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 to, to, to summarize it. The Benedict option basically says that in the times that you exist in, it's very important to go against the grain if you want to see success, no matter how you define success. Does that make, have you ever heard of that? No, I've never heard of that. It. It, it makes sense. But if I was a describing culture right now, I would call it the right now culture. Because if you can't do it right now and be successful in like 90 days, most of, most of the people our age are off that. If I can't pick up a microphone and become a platinum rapper in three months, then I'm off that. There's no see-it-throughness in our culture right now. Damn, that's crazy. This, the book talks about that. I was trying to, I was trying to find it in here, but I never highlighted it. But they basically, we're, we're talking about how when you look at the three traits or the the, you know, the three traits within the triple package, it basically says when when you look when you take all three of these and you and you think about them. It's almost as if the driving force behind success of these immigrants is to is to is to basically look at the um, the right now or the instant gratification as toxic. I mean, think mm. about it: the flat tummy tees, the surgeries, the um, the filters, um, the um, the it's it's so many ways in which people are in our in America today are looking at the situation as if like uh, I need to feel good now. And that's why I posted that little thing on um, Instagram today about um, high self-esteem because I think that after watching the Ted Bundy documentary, I don't know if you got a chance to watch that one with Zac Efron, but I did. The one on Netflix. Oh, okay. Okay. Like I said, I don't, I don't think it was an amazing movie, but I think it, I think it highlighted what it needed to highlight. It needed to highlight how normal Ted Bundy was. In mm-hmm. a sense of if you weren't, if you didn't know him like, how do I say? Like if you didn't know him from the historical point of viewpoint, if you were living there and you like came across Ted Bundy, there's no way in the world you would have thought Ted Bundy was capable of the Ted Bundy shit. Because and I think this guy was. Go ahead. I think Zac Efron actually played a really good role in that because. And then they showed the the actual footage towards the end in the credits. Yeah. It's kind of like. If they didn't have like, okay, here are the bite marks you put on her ass and they match her teeth perfectly. Like, it's kind of like, I don't know if Ted did this or not. Yeah, like, without yeah, that solid evidence, I was kind of like, I don't know. <laughs> you still I don't, was like, I don't know. He looked like a, he looked like a good guy to me. <laughs> Ted been to kill my fool. <laughs> <laughs> Dog, like, in all honesty, man, um, that may just be the, the 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 social form of ingraining in us that you know we see these quote unquote clean cut white guys and we don't we don't tend to look at them as thugs we don't tend to look at them as murderers I mean obviously nowadays more than likely you know we kind of can stereotype some of them I mean we're not always right but I still think that even today a Ted Bundy looking type uh, looking person could probably still make some moves on us and we wouldn't even know because we wouldn't expect it from that that kind of guy the way he carries himself. And uh, I think I think high self-esteem is definitely something that he had. Like even when he was already convicted and in jail, he was still looking at himself like I'm a lawyer. Like, bro, you didn't yeah. graduate yet. Like to think so highly of yourself is dangerous. And I was like, man, that is that is um that is very, very interesting, and I, 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 it, I couldn't help but to think how a lot of us are actually attracted to that. You know what I mean? Like, think about how we always talk about, you know, the nice guy. And I think, I think for the most part, um, a lot of people tend to look at the nice guy as a person that's like maybe moderate to low self-esteem because a lot of people look at the nice guy like a people pleaser. And, and and I mean, I mean, that's you. You get the nice guy, you get the bad guy. More than likely, the quote unquote bad guy is the guy that you know he carries himself, you know, chest out, chin up, 
you know, don't give a fuck about nobody. You know, it, it, honestly, his self-esteem is perceived to be kind of high. No, no matter how low it may, inter- you know, internally be, we perceive that it's high, and a lot of us tend to flock to that, whether it's a man or a woman. And um, it's 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 an important conversation because it gets you to thinking like. Maybe you just need to get somebody with a sensible level of self-esteem. That way you avoid getting your ass beat. Or that way you avoid being in a situation um, with a person that's so highly narcissistic that they don't see any worth in you. I mean, it's that's so what many, I was, that's so what was just thinking. Like, is that high self-esteem something you don't really associate with being humble? I think it's pretty hard to do that. I mean, I think that's why... I, a lot of, a lot, I think that's why a lot of lames, a lot of, especially a lot of rappers these days, they, they get a lot of money, which boosts their self-esteem, and being humble is the last thing on their mind. Just saying, you know, I mean, I, I think I think it's really hard to be humble when um, you're constantly getting, uh, you're, you're constantly being praised. Like, yeah. when, 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 when do you really have that chance to self-check yourself and be like, hold on, let me, let me bring myself down a notch, when... When in when 365 days you haven't really had any humbling moments, shit. In two years you haven't had any humbling moments. You're just constantly riding a wave, and you're all you're seeing is success. I think I mean I think it's pretty hard. Uh, yeah. Before I don't want to skip this last one, but Go this ahead. last one talks. This last one I relate to this last one a whole bunch because um, of where I work. But um, the last one is impulse control. Um, Strict self-discipline is a fixed star of Mormon culture. Manifest in Mormons, two-year grueling missions, their temperance, their church-going, and their sexual conservatism. Mormon businessmen are well known for not having a beer at the firm barbecue or going out, out for even one martini lunch. Their clean living approach to business is paying off. What do the current CFOs or CEOs of American Express, Black & Decker, Citigroup, Dell, Fisher-Price, Huntsman, Huntsman is, is here, that's how I relate to it, uh, they, they, they're a customer of mine, JetBlue, Marriott International, Sears, Skull Candy, Sam's Club, and Madison Square uh, Garden have in common, they are all members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Like, I don't know if that's a product of white supremacy or... I mean, but I take that with a grain of salt. Why is that? What are those all... Are those all Fortune 500 companies? Uh, I believe so, yeah. Let's let's say they are. Let's just say they are. For the sake of not fact-checking. How many is that list? Like 10? Yeah. About 10 people or church of whatever and they're... And their their CEOs, CFOs and CEOs, CFOs, CEOs. That's not even like a full percent of what of Fortune five hundred companies. I mean, so so if you was to go off the top of your head and, and think of Fortune five hundred companies, um, what would you think would would take up the the mass amount of that? Scientology. No, I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I would I, say I think, a lot. Think, Most of them would have no religion. I think I think the importance in that one is that I would have to say that these are American companies that are pretty successful, though. I mean, when you think of Fortune 500 companies, what are that? What is that? What are they ranking? In, what are Fortune 500 companies? That's globally, right? It's globally ranked, right? Fortune. Uh, I think so. Yeah, I think every, that's globally. Yeah. So I mean, to to take ten that we know pretty well, bro. We know we know ten of these pretty well. I would say that out of a few of these, we probably we probably utilize some of them on the regular. A lot of us do, uh, but I do I do I do agree with what you're saying to take it with a grain of salt. But I, I guess I guess I mean, and that's obviously with a lot of um, with a lot of books and a lot of studies. You know, they they obviously always have an agenda. But I think um, I think. The impulse control part part kind of comes into play with the uh, the Benedict option. And at my job, when I first got there, it was like totally Mormon control. Like, uh, shit, my supervisor was a Mormon. 
the uh, the plant manager was a Mormon. Uh, the planner was a Mormon. The, the receptionist was a Mormon. And like that, that about five or six years ago was really my introduction to um, to how Mormon people move. And I did always kind of kind of find their the way their way of moving to be uh, beneficial because I, I felt like they didn't really care about what was going on in the mainstream. Like you can literally look at them and you can tell like. Like y'all on some other shit. Like y'all need yeah. to catch up with the times. And then you kind of ask. And then I started kind of looking at them after a couple of years and being like, "Well, should they doing good for themselves? I mean, what really? What's the point of catching up with the times?" And that, and then that's the question that I that that's the real question that I asked myself as I was sitting there thinking about culture because I felt like when you think about culture, it's like that's what it's all about. Like staying in the present and um. I think that's, I think to me, I kind of found that that's kind of detrimental. I mean, I could be wrong, but um, even when you go on Twitter and you see what's going on on Twitter, uh, I saw today, um, I want to say it was Georgia or Alabama. Um, they, um, they, they didn't, they didn't air, no, it was Alabama. They didn't air the episode of Arthur where Mr. Ratburn got married to a, a gay man, a gay person. Like they didn't, they didn't, they didn't allow that to air in Alabama. Interesting. They, I know. I, and, and then you can, you just ask yourself, I mean, and obviously I read the comments and like, it, it was interesting because nobody really went against it. Like everybody was like, Oh, you know, just talking shit about Alabama and, and incest and stuff. And I'm like, I don't even know the incest facts about Alabama. I don't know. I mean, it's it's always it's been a running joke for a long time. It's a running joke like the Florida man. But at least with the Florida man, we kind of see the evidence. <laughs> There's um, some evidence that they're wilding in Florida. Yeah, they just wilding in Florida. But when I think about Alabama and incest, I'm like, I mean, yeah, I mean, I know it's a running joke that people have been saying a long time, but I never had the chance to really fact check that. But at the same time, what what does it hurt? By not airing Mr. Ratburn, like what does that really do? Like that marriage, like you air it, you don't air it. What happens? What effects does that have? The viewing audience of Arthur, it, it doesn't affect them at all. <laughs> and you know who the main people that were angry? A lot of people that are, are 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 on Twitter now that are keeping up with the culture. Like it's like y'all are y'all are talking shit about Alabama and angry at Alabama, and it's like, how does this affect y'all? Mm-hmm. What does this? What does that really mean? Like Alabama is is in in their in their minds doing something to um, may possibly protect their youth or possibly uh, it, it's it's a sort of filtering or censoring like we talked about on the last episode. Maybe perceived as dangerous, might not be. Just depends on where you stand. Depends on where you are. I would imagine that a lot of Alabama parents probably. If if it was that serious, they probably would have pirated it or YouTubed it or something. I mean, if it I, if it was I, that necessary for your child to see, yeah, it, it, which I I don't I don't I still to this day do not understand um, the um, how I, how do people see that as progress by airing a homosexual marriage on Arthur. I think it's forced, like <laughs> everything. Like even in, in Avengers Endgame, you go out of your way to have the female superheroes unite. You go out of your way to have the gay guy at the counseling session. Like if it happens, it happens. Nobody cares. But when you force it, it's kind of like I'm trying to make you care. Nobody is making people care about heterosexuality, so why should you make people care about homosexuality? I think I think um, I think it's it's almost like a fear of being forgotten. Almost, I feel like who who's whoever is like writing that into to mainstream um, creation. Like when we're, we're creating these things for mainstream. And we need to make sure that uh, the LGBT community is not forgotten. And um, I think that's I think it's weird because it's like um, it it, it kind of feels like to an extent it's overrepresented. 
Like exactly. I kinda, like, th- yeah. Like I, I, I don't feel, feel like, like they're being forgotten. They're just becoming one of everybody else. Yeah. It's, I forgot what movie I was watching, but I kind of just felt like it was like stati- statistically inaccurate. Like it bothers me. Like let's just say I'm just going out of my way here. Homosexuality has been been around since the beginning of times, but I'm almost certain that yes, homosexuality is is everywhere. But it would probably be safe to say that it is more it is more likely to be open but confined to certain regions in America. Obviously, if you go to California, you know, you're going to see a lot of gayness. You go to New York, you're going to see a lot of gayness. Georgia, so on and so forth. But if I'm watching something about a movie in Montana or or a movie in, in, in fucking Green Bay, is it necessary for me to see a homosexual person? I mean, in all honesty, would it be necessary for me to see a black person? Would that be no. accurate? I'm just that's kind of weird to me. Like, for instance, go ahead. Okay. No, because I was gonna I was gonna say something about Game of Thrones again, but we can I can save it. Go ahead. We watched Crazy Rich Asians the other day. Okay. And it's kind of like you know, hey, it's an all Asian cast. I think it was written and directed by Asian. The guy that wrote the book was an Asian. Like it's overly Asian. Of Which, course. What was it? That's what was fine. The cast? You know, like, they did that about, you know, Black Panther for the most part, whatever, what have you. But it's kind of like, there was points in the movie that I felt like, okay, I get it. You're Asian. You're rich. I get it. You're beating a dead horse. Just be humans that are rich. Like, you're going out of your way to prove that you're Asian. I know that you're Asian. (laughs) I can kind of see it. (laughs) I can see it. (laughs) Just tell the rest of the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I was going to get to with Game of Thrones, I don't even want to pull up the article. But once again, so everybody knows, I mean, I haven't watched, I think I've watched one or two episodes of Game of Thrones. Probably get to it sometime. In the in the in the next year or two, hopefully, hopefully summer. Just all depends. I still gotta I still gotta finish Ozark. I got a lot of shows I gotta finish. Um, but I, I heard that uh, I don't know if you saw that tweet today where um, the guy was like, um, I like how this this average straight white man tried to take the throne and he she, I, I, you didn't see that. So, so can no. you explain that to me? Uh, let me read it to you because um, I didn't really understand it. But I also felt like that comment was like unnecessary, and I also felt it was lame in a sense of like, here we go, here we go attacking a, a, a cast member that was you know just you know just going along with a script. I mean, obviously whoever this person was did get thrown, and the person that was designed to get thrown got thrown. But I felt like this this comment was unnecessary. It says, "Sense of telling a mediocre straight white man to sit the fuck down added five years to my lifespan." And this is posted by some guy named Sam Stryker uh, for BuzzFeed. I'm gonna automatically assume that he's gay because he looks gay, but uh, I don't want to. <laughs> Wait, how do you how do you know that's how gay looks? <laughs> just, that, matter of fact, I, I, I'm not even gonna say he looks gay, but that comment just seems pretty gay. Because I mean, you're white. It's either it's either full of white guilt or he's a gay he's a gay white man, so he feels like he has leverage like Pete Booted. Whatever his name is, the nigga, the mayor that's running against Donald Trump. You know what I'm talking about? No. You ever heard of why you, Why are you even paying attention to the election right now? Bro, it's it's three thousand people running. I'm running. <laughs> what? I think I might write myself in. But 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 Pete Buttigieg is whatever his name is. He's one of the. He's a mayor. He's running. He's one of the people that's going to be a Democrat running, and he really feels like he has the leverage because he's a—he's not only gay, but he's a openly gay white man. So, so once again, I'm just bringing back to that to that 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 uh that line. Like, what does that line mean? I didn't get it. Okay, read it for me one more time. Oh man, you forced me to read this foolishness again. One so says, last time. Sense of telling a mediocre straight white man to sit the fuck down added five years to my life. Oh, uh, okay. Now I remember that. Well, basically, he was just getting up there rambling. Like, he had no point. 
but he just felt like he needed to say something. So she was like, my man's. Sit your bitch ass down. You ain't, you ain't got shit to say of, of substance. Damn. Who who was it? Some who was random the mediocre white man? Lord of some fictitious land. Okay, okay. Did he think he was going to get the throne or something? No. No. He knew it wasn't. He knew it wasn't for him, but I felt like he still thought he needed to shoot a shot or he felt like he needed to still shoot a shot for the throne. How significant was that scene? Yeah. Not that significant in the overall arc of the story. Okay. Well, okay. Not that scene, but their interaction. Because we already know who was in control. And it was just kind of further iterating, like, it's not this guy. Did that even need to be said? Did he need to be told, sit down? Yeah. Could the show have still prospered without that interaction? Yeah. I mean, we know the show wasn't prosperous to begin with. <laughs> Just saying. And we already talked about that. Um, and, and, I, and, and once again, I think, I think the downfall of Game of Thrones has a lot to do with the mob mentality culture. I think, I think once one person that had some type of clout or had some, some, some fame to their name said that they didn't like Game of Thrones, I think everybody pretty much jumped on that on that bandwagon, bro. And that and that's that's mob mentality culture. Like everybody's like, okay, it's kind of like what Kevin Hart said on the Joe Rogan podcast. Like the 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 the, the need to jump on the hate train is is like it's at an all time high now, and it's it's the cool thing to do. And it's not even necessarily the the hate train. I can even say that the stand train is is very annoying too. Because I don't know about you, but did you listen to that Tyler the Creator album that came out? I got about four tracks deep. How'd you feel about it? Uh, the first three of the four I really liked, but then I had to go back to work and I never finished. But the first three of the four tracks I liked. Okay, okay. okay. I, I just felt like it, it was weird that it was being so heavily praised. And I, I'm, I'm like you, I heard about two or three tracks and then I was like, well, I wasn't really expecting this from Tyler the Creator. And, uh, it was just so weird to me how it was like so many like, oh, my God, this is this is like real music. This is like this is better than rap. And like I, I saw some crazy comments like this chill, chill, album chill, is so chill, beautiful chill, because chill, it's chill, not chill. rap. And I'm sitting here like, what is going on? Like and I really couldn't I didn't really see any honest opinions. I didn't see anybody really breaking down anything and saying, well, I really felt like this because it literally was just like. Well, shit, I see it's trending. Everybody say it's popping, so let me hop on the wave. And and, and, that's, and that's dangerous because I kind of feel like, what are we learning from that? Like, is there a fear of asking questions now or really wanting to, 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 to go be, you know, go beyond just surface level thinking? And, and, and once again, I kind of feel like that's why this book to me is kind of, it's kind of an eye opener because as I look at these these groups of people that haven't bought into the foolishness, it kind of makes sense to where where they stand in society. And I kind of feel like it's a um, it's a it's a it's a theory that still like like you said, those on a lot of Fortune 500 companies, no doubt. I feel like they're 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 significant enough to to mention, and obviously there may be there there may be some. Um, I read something to hear about how um, at one time Cubans in Miami were, you know, at they they, they pretty much it, when he, when you talked about poverty in Miami in the 60s, you probably were talking about Cuban immigrants. Mm-hmm. Now they say uh, I want to say something like your average Cuban community, uh, the median household income is like ninety three thousand. I'm like Jesus Christ! You talk about a span of what fifty years, and and y'all talking about dudes is basically sitting sitting close to a quarter million in some homes easily. And I, I mean, what's going on? Is that is that is that is there has to be a method to the madness? I'm just saying, like a lot of people running around talking about. Go ahead. I think it's a weird place for us because. 
we don't come from nothing, but we come from very little. So when you get those Asian immigrants and those Cuban immigrants, there's no going back. So they have to make something out of nothing. And we've become complacent with being okay with having very little. And, 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 and I'm telling you, one thing that I noticed this weekend was even with adults, I think that there is an obsession with, with, with uh, and we talked about this before, not only the obsession with looking youthful, but there's an obsession with kind of trying to relive your childhood. I think that's deeply ingrained in American culture, too, when you think about the fact that, like, when you talk about how um, people don't necessarily, um, people love instant gratification. Who loves instant gratification more than anybody? A child. Yep. A child loves instant gratification. A child loves to get to eat their chocolate cake. A child, a child loves the fact that they don't have they don't have to restrain from anything because they're kids, you know, for the most part. And mm-hmm. I think it's scary when you look at a lot of adults now that kind of look at restraint as 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 a form of uh, punishment. You be like, hey, you want to you want you if you get off your fat ass, you want to lose forty pounds. Guess what you got to do. You got to restrain from eating them chocolate cakes. You got to restrain from doing this or that. And then they kind of look at you like, damn, like, why are you punishing me? Like, what the fuck? But that's American culture. Because a lot of us feel like, well, I got the money. I should be able to splurge. But okay, you get the money, you splurge, you end up broke. Who who else is there to blame? Yourself. Well, (laughs) yourself is the only person there, but you can find somebody. Oh, you can find somebody. And a lot of us, a lot of us, especially with our skin color and what I've witnessed in the past three or four years, a lot of us blame our parents. So there you go. Once again, if a lot of people are blaming their parents for their lack of self-restraint, their lack of discipline, their um, uh, uh, one of the things about the Benedict option that I found that I found to be unique was when they, they talked about the fall of Rome. And within the fall of Rome, they talk about how uh, in that time period, uh, it was people that didn't, they didn't know how to trade. People didn't know how to farm anymore. People, people uh, cared less about knowing how to read. Um, uh, uh, financial competency was at an all-time low. And, I mean, eventually Rome fell. And the only people that were successful in Rome were the Christians. And that was crazy because at that time, Christianity was was something that pretty much preached about self-discipline, uh, preached about, you know, being pure. It's it's obviously so many things that fall into restraining and self-discipline, but a lot of those people had superiority complexes because they felt like they were serving a higher Lord. People were looking at themselves like, well, what would Jesus do? You know, to sit there and think to yourself, what would Jesus do? It, it says a lot about yourself because you're basically putting yourself in a position to also put yourself on a high pedestal. You're like, yeah. okay, I need to do it because Jesus can do it. And that that takes a I'm lot of strength. Hey, I'm just saying. So when you put that pressure on yourself, what ends up happening? I mean, it could be stressful, but if if if, if you do your... The, obviously, the, the further I went down the rabbit hole, they even said that a lot of people when you're measuring happiness, which I don't really understand how you measure happiness, but they said a lot of people tend to be at their happiest or their, their mindset is much more positive when they're striving for success. Like in the, in the, in the, in the, like in those, in that time period where you're actually fighting for that goal, that's when you feel your best. Like a person that's like, Hey, I want to lose 25 pounds. Each time they hit those small goals, closer to 25 pounds, they feel better and better. And then they they finally hit that 25 pounds, and what happens? The uh the the, the happiness level kind of stagnates, and then they either want more or they fall off. So I, I kind of felt like that that kind of makes a lot of sense because when I look at these people in in these in in the during the fall of Rome, I kind of felt like you know they they had a goal set in mind. They weren't worried about what everybody else was doing. And once they realized that they they were somewhere everybody else wasn't, what ends up what ends up happening when the majority of the people around you are poor <laughs> and suffering 
but you got your shit together. What is up happening? They kind of they either they either gonna try to hunt you or try to kill you or they gonna try to seek guidance from you. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how that's kind of how Christianity was able to make its way. Christianity was able to make its way because everybody was looking at all these Protestants and Christians like, damn, what was y'all doing? We need to be more like y'all. And I think it's that's kinda, I think that's important to know. You about to say something? Yeah, it's kind of like how much value did you put into something that was just given to you? How much respect did you have for it? How much care did you put into it? Now take that same thing and you earn it and oh. you pay for it and you make sacrifices for it. You cherish it a little bit more. And that's where we're at. Like you say, we're, we have a child's mentality where we want the instant gratification. Yeah, give me a cookie. Cookie, cookie, cookie. I want a cookie. But when you have to like, hey, I want these new Jimmy Choo, Air Jordan, whatever, what have you. I busted my ass, put in overtime, you know, saved the scrap so I could go get that. You cherish it a little bit more. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you, you, I mean, you, you, you hit the bullseye before I even got to it, man, because you, you, you said you, you, you said something about earning something. And one of the things about American culture that I realized as of as of recently. Uh, once again, it still falls in within the realm of mob mentality. Is is a lot of these um, these movements that kind of go against? Uh, I, I want to say shame movements like uh, don't fat shame, don't slut shame, don't um, don't broke shame, don't do this shame. And I think it's a lot of coddling in that that come that becomes dent- that becomes detrimental to a person's growth because. I don't think that all forms of shaming are necessarily bullying. You know what I mean? I think some forms of shaming tend to come off as bullying only because today people are easily offended. I think some forms of shaming are meant to boost a person's um, willingness to better themselves. Because if we're all sitting around thinking just we, we know this guy that comes, you know, he dress fly all the time. He's always, you know, he get all the ladies, you know, he go out and, you know, he get the most attention, the freshest, but he don't, he the only one that never put pitch in when it's time to, when it's time to, you know, get around. He the only person that always, that's always asking for money when we, when we go to eat afterwards and he ain't got nothing, he ain't got nothing, he broke. So when somebody finally calls his broke ass out, what, what do you think that's going to make him do eventually? It's going to make him reevaluate itself. Hopefully, just like or he's just gonna like stop messing with y'all. Yeah, just just stop messing with us and go to and go jump into one of these mobs that that appreciate his brokenness rather than calling his brokenness out. Just like I, just like I feel about about you know people that that are that are drink that are heavily drinking on the scene. Like y'all constantly, you know, I hear heavily drinking. Y'all 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 popping these pills. Y'all living this y'all living this fast life, and then the next thing you know. You you wonder why you got these DUIs. You wonder why you ain't got no money. You wonder why your health is at an all time low. You wonder why you look like a fifty year old and you're only twenty seven. You know you start. You know to say you you uh, before you get there. Hopefully somebody was shaming you and realizing you was a fucking party animal. Maybe party animal shaming isn't a bad thing when somebody's just pointing out the fact that hey you got some issues that you need to check. Just saying. You deep in thought over there, Mr. Brooks. Is everything all right, man? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> you, you, you real deep. I'm a deep you, thinker. Light drinker. <laughs> you say you what? I say I'm a deep thinker, but a light drinker. Oh, okay, okay. I mean, I, I don't know if that's a dangerous combination, but it is what it is. But yeah, man, I mean, the last thing I want to touch on was... Um, once again, it, uh, not, not, I don't necessarily think that I'm bashing American culture. I think just like on the last episode, I'm just pointing out the flaws. And I, and, 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 and I think in the last episode, it probably sounded like more along the lines like I'm looking at black culture like it's the bad thing. I think I think black culture is American culture, especially when you talk about when you talk about thugging, when you talk about hip hop, when you're talking about uh, 
when you talk about pretty much any any modern the way parents like you said earlier parents pushing their their black children to uh, to athletics rather than pushing their uh, their kids to academics i mean i think that's that's black culture that comes under the umbrella of of america like kids kids in um kids in in germany a black kid born in germany probably isn't really worried about basketball like their direction is a lot different but um uh, the last type i want to touch on was um thinking about game of thrones once again <laughs> i was thinking about <laughs> i mean only you think about a show you've never watched a lot yeah it's because it's funny to me man like i mean outside of the fact that y'all need therapy groups to cope with the fact that something happened on the last episode that was so catastrophic are you checking into a therapy group i'm just curious is it is it no nah, i'm good okay just checking man because y'all y'all game of thrones fans be wilding out here but um i saw somebody uh post a picture that you know they were gonna watch game of thrones and like People were under the picture, basically like, "Oh man, you know, I, I like I like me a geek, I like me a nerd," and like, and I, I'm sitting there like, "So if you watch Game of Thrones, you're considered a, a geek or a nerd? Like, what? Did, when did that start?" Because you like a pop culture show, you're a geek. I don't. I, I, I don't, was. I, was, I don't well, put two and two together. <laughs> I, I didn't understand it, and I, I kind of like, I was lost. Like, I'm, I'm like. First of all, I was talking to Jay Mark in the barbershop, and he we were talking about Game of Thrones because he was talking about how his girl watches it, and I, I said it straight up. I was like, man, you know, I would have never thought, I would have never thought in a million years that she was the type of person that would watch Game of Thrones. She just doesn't look like the type, and I can kind of tell he was kind of confused. But then I hit him with like, hey man, like I kind of think that if a nigga was in the Star Wars or a nigga was in the Dungeons and Dragons, they kind of you kind of think of a certain type of person when I say that. You, if you think about a person that's in the Star Trek, or 15 years ago, if a, if a, if, a, uh, if you saw a person, you'd be like, yeah, that that dude looks like he he reads comic books, you know, or or that dude looks like you know he probably got a Darth Vader mask at home, you know. So or you you ever you ever see motherfuckers that um that uh that dress up at Renaissance festivals? I don't know if mm-hmm. you know Renaissance. Yeah. Those kind of people have a certain look, and like I kind of felt like for a second, I'm like, you know what? Game of Thrones, people that watch Game of Thrones or into Game of Thrones, they may have a certain look, but then I realized, you know what? They really don't because it's not really a true fandom. It's like you said, it's it's a it's a pop culture hit. It's 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 when you think of when you think of fandoms like Star Wars, Star Trek, um shit, I I would even I would like I said, Dungeons and Dragons, um people that are into like into like 80s fashion like they have a certain lifestyle that is it's like if you see a sneakerhead a dude that is fan uh, he is a he is a fan of sneakers you're going to probably see him in the seven day period in some unique kicks am i right or wrong yeah so, you're gonna see him in something rare you're gonna see him in something rare because he's a sneakerhead it's a lifestyle and i kind of feel like when when a person becomes a, a nerd or a part of, and not not in the in, I'm talking about it in the traditional sense of nerdism or being a geek. I'm not talking about in the in the in the dictionary definition way. I'm talking about somebody that embraces the lifestyle of of a culture because they, that's they want to live that fantasy. You know, like you know niggas that's in the anime. Like you kind of you kind of can tell a nigga yeah. that's in the anime. Maybe not so much nowadays. Ever since Michael B. Jordan opened up about it, so now everybody's like coming out of the woodworks. But for the most part, your core audience of anime fans, you knew who them niggas was. You knew how them niggas carried themselves, even if they was black, white, whatever. You you knew an anime fan from a mile away. And just to bring it back to my point, I just kind of feel like when you have something like Game of Thrones that's really trendy and a part of pop culture, my main question is when it ends. Most likely, a lot of those people are going to jump on the next hot show because they never really, they never mm-hmm, really yeah. were. Yeah, they're just going to get on whatever's hot next. They gonna, and I don't think a, a, a true Star Wars fan to do that. I think, I think a true Star Wars fan is probably waiting around for a prequel. A true Star Wars fan is still obsessed over the last seven Star Wars movies, and you go into that house, you're going to see Star Wars collections and shit. And they probably still rewatching those movies. A lot of those Star Wars fans. They probably quote Star Wars on a regular basis. 
it's be some shit you ain't never even heard of because you're not into Star Wars. You know what I'm saying? I, once again, I kind of feel like when you can't when you classify somebody as a nerd or a geek, you're looking at it. You're you're looking at it. You should be looking at it from a lifestyle perspective. Like that's kind of how they move, and it's kind of obvious. But somebody that's just in you know, a pop culture, a pop culture hit. I mean, that same person that watches Game of Thrones is probably gonna start watching Power when Power comes back. That same person that stopped watching Game of Thrones is probably gonna jump on Westworld. None of those things have anything in common. The only thing they have in common is. Nope. They're probably gonna be the hit, the next hot topic. So I, I don't know. I, I just found that I just found that that term to be used loosely, and it's just it's just weird to me the way the way people say things that don't really add up. I'm like that person is not a geek or a nerd. That person is just you know they just they just fell into the mob mentality. It is what it is. I mean, not they only having a mob mentality, like it's okay to like the show. It is. It is okay to like the show. It's good. Like it's, it's okay to like the show and dislike the show. <laughs> but yeah. I think I think more along the lines now. I think it's cool to to, to down talk the show because that's what's happening more along. That's that's what's happening more than ever this season. And it, and that's why I'm talking about it so much because it's still baffling to me. I don't I don't see how it, it was such a it was so great for seven seasons and then like all I've heard all I've heard is complaining in this in this in this eighth season and it just amazes me. I feel I feel sorry for the core audience that has to that has to deal with the um, the criticism of people that just jumped on the show this summer. Like, damn, you just been watch you just been watched the whole show in, in one summer, and and you have nothing nice to say about the eighth season. It just kind of sucks because I feel like are they really emotionally invested in it, or or they just want to have an opinion? They just want to be included, and we know how that goes. That's and once again, that's to me that is modern American culture, the mob mentality, wanting to be included, instant gratification, like all that. All that is what the book Triple Package pretty much talks about. To summarize it, to me, it just constantly talks about how the more successful people in society, whether whether we're really looking or not, are people that tend to stay away from what's popping. Like they're like, yeah, that's that's cool, but. I'm focused on this, and and I, I can only get there if I if I if I do these few things. Because if I try to do what y'all doing, partying, uh, just wilding out, you know, not wanting to take care of my body, uh, constantly making excuses, um, is scared to scared scared to step away from 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 what's popping, what's trending. Like I can't I can't get to I can't get to success. No matter how we no matter how we define success. I mean, for me. I definitely feel like, you know, being um, in a position to do what you want on a regular basis, meaning like to not be stressful, to not be stressed out every day. I feel like that's I feel like that's a that's a sort of success. And I, I feel like the reason for me that I, I, I see that a lot is because, you know, I, I tend to go against the grain a lot. And I think that has a lot to do with my upbringing. I think a lot of the things that people mm-hmm. um, internally, a lot of the reasons people internally suffer is because they're scared to turn away from the things that um, cause them to conform. That's why everybody. That's why. That's why people tend to be their happiest when they when they when they deactivate their social medias and they stop using their phones less. Just saying, it's just something to think about. Just something to think about. Got any words of advice, man? I did uh, see a man with a flip phone today, and I was just kind of like, "Weren't those the days?" Wow, the 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 flip phone works as a filter as itself, because you ain't seeing shit on that flip phone. <laughs> you might get some unnecessary text messages, but it is what it is. But man, I, I think I think we hit that hour pretty pretty solid. I mean, like I said, you got any words of advice? Uh, yeah, my words of advice are pretty simple. Don't sweat the small stuff. I know I've said that before, but if it's not gonna matter, to, if it's not gonna matter to you in seventy-two hours, let that shit go. I, I yeah, uh, I, obviously, um, I, I agree with that. Um, I, I think I had something that I wanted to uh, to share. Hopefully, I can find it before um, uh, before uh, you fall asleep. Um, let me see. <laughs> Uh, come on, come on, come on, come on. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Act like you want it. I saw something. That, I don't know if you sent it to me or what, but um, was it, was it, somebody said something about if you a street nigga, 
and your kids turn out as street niggas, you failed as a father. Did you say that to me? No, that well, doesn't sound like that. Okay, okay. Well, somebody tweeted that. I don't know if it was G Herbo or somebody like that. Was it if it was Mr. Herbert? But um, yeah, he he said <laughs> if you a street nigga, <laughs> if you a street nigga and you raise a street nigga, you failed as a father. And it was interesting to see, you know, some of the backlash he got for that. But then I I, I was kind of surprised. I guess I wasn't too surprised to see the people saying, you know, that, that's some real shit. Um, I, I just wanted to say that I just kind of feel like I mean, you you could be a street nigga and successful. I just I just kind of feel like whether whether Black Americans want to admit it or not, um, I think I think one way that we kind of all agree on what success looks like is when we can you know say that you know hey I got my family out of the hood, you know because because I don't think there's right. anything wrong. I think when I think of street nigga a lot of times I think of a nigga that has common sense. Sometimes, because I don't think a street nigga has to be ruthless. I think sometimes a street nigga just has a, a lot of street knowledge. I would say Nipsey Hussle was a good example of a street nigga because I don't think that uh, Nipsey Hussle, Hussle had a, a strong academic background, but the dude utilized his common sense to catapult him to a level that uh, a lot of people aren't going to see. And, uh, and, and and off on that note, I'm just going to say people do need to keep in mind that um, Nipsey Hussle's background uh it's pretty much well represented in his book that I'm reading because uh, he definitely, definitely has parents that um, come from a di- different background and that that may play up that may that may or may not have played a significant part in his success. Just something to think about. Just something to think about. Very true. But anyways, but anyways, it, it was it was nice having you on this uh on this late night, man. I, I know it's past your bedtime. No, you, <laughs> you got things to do, man. I appreciate but, uh, you for having me on your show. Oh wow! <laughs> we'll talk about that. I, I, I called the show "Be Someone," but the show is called "Someone Great." The movie's called "Someone Great," right? Yeah, "Someone Great." Okay, "Someone Great" and John Wick Three. We'll probably get to that on the next episode. Uh, make sure you handle your business. I'll see what I can do. Wow! And with that being said, this has been the No Boundaries Podcast. Thank you for listening. But. Ever since the dawn of civilization, people have craved for an understanding of the underlying order of the world. There ought to be something very special about the boundary conditions of the universe. And what can be more special than that there is no boundary?